Uh, today we're wrapping up a series that we've been calling Reality Binge. I mean, just like many of us have been, you know, over the past few months binging Netflix series and old television series, uh, we've been tuning into some uh, also reality show-like stories in the Bible. And it's been fun and helpful for me. I would encourage you to get on our site and check them out. Uh, just maybe a God might have a unique word uh, for you. And today we're going to wrap this up by looking at a young guy who could have been a participant in the amazing race. I mean, you've seen this show, right? It's, it's a reality show that's won a bunch of Emmys. It's where teams of, uh, of two compete against all these other teams in this very you know, fast-paced, where's Waldo kind of scavenger hunt thing. And they get clues, they get maps, and they get riddles they have to solve. They have physical challenges, they have mental challenges, they get emotional breakdowns. I mean, there's all kinds of drama, all kinds of twists and turns. It's super unpredictable, kind of like life. I mean, maybe you're thinking right now, man, I feel like I'm on the amazing race. I, I sure would like to know where my life is going. I'd like to know what God's plan is for my life. I'd, I could use some clues. I, I need some direction. I'd give anything. If I could just know I was running my race in the right direction, I would love to know that I'm exactly where I ought to be. I don't know. Maybe these days you're asking the question, you know, I'm, Am I at the right school? Am I on the right career track? Should I change jobs? I mean, they're offering me another position, but is that the right position? That position requires me to move to another town. And should I move to another town? If I move to another town, then I have to find a new house. And how will I know which house is the right house? And if I move, I'll have to find a new church. And how will I know which church is the right church? And I'm not sure if I want to move right now because this relationship I finally got into is with someone I think I kind of like and maybe even kind of love. And I'm not really sure, though, if they're the right one or the wrong one. Or maybe the one I thought was the wrong one is really the right one. And now I don't know what to do. I'm so confused. Well, today, we're going to look at the life of a young guy who goes on the absolute amazing race, so many twists and turns, so unpredictable. You talk about life not turning out at all like you thought it would. I'm just guessing some of you might see your story in his. And many of you uh, know, the, know the story. I've, I've taught on it before. It's one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. It's a story about a guy named Joseph who early on in his high school days, got a pretty clear picture of what his future would be like. So if you got a Bible, you got an app, uh, we're gonna hang in Genesis again, where we were last week, just a few chapters over from where we left off. In Genesis chapter 37, it's the first book of, of the Bible. Or you can just follow along on the screens and we'll pick up the story of Joseph's life when he was 17 years old. And I wanna tell you, we're gonna, we're gonna fly through these next chapters, all the way to the very last chapter of the book of Genesis. So you might just want to spend some time later on the day just reading the whole deal in like one setting. Now, there are several key principles that I want to highlight out of Joseph's life as it relates to hearing from God and living in his will and waiting on God to move and knowing that God is directing your life. And I want to give you the first one before we jump into the story. And, and, and the principle is this. God does have a plan for our lives. He just has a much better view from above. Any of y'all football fans looking forward to football starting again? Have you ever noticed that in between plays, sometimes a quarterback will have his hands on his helmet, has kind of a faraway look? Now, sometimes it's because he just got his bell rung, right? Most of the time, he's listening to an offensive coordinator on a little speaker in his helmet. 
calling in the plays. You see what they do? They place this coach way up in the press box at the top of the stadium because from that vantage point, he can see things that the players and other coaches can't see. In fact, he can see the entire field. And while that kind of illustrates the point, to be honest, it's a pretty lame attempt to explain how God sees. I mean, how do you explain omniscience? You can combine like the offensive coordinator press box view with Superman's x-ray vision and the power of all-knowing Alexa, and you would still fall incredibly short of illustrating the ability of God to see all things visible and invisible. And may I add this? That's why I trust him so much with my life. He has an incredible view from above like nobody else, the ability to see like nobody else. Plus, he has this love for me that's high and wide and deep and long, and he has this insatiable desire to give me a hope in the future. So I'm just going to trust what he knows and what he can see, even when I can't. God does know the plans he has for us. And for Joseph, God had a unique plan for his life. And incredibly, as a 17-year-old guy, God lets him in on it. Here's how it starts. Now, Jacob, the brother we talked about last week, that got Esau to trade him the birthright. Jacob had a son named Joseph, and he loved Joseph more than his, any other of his children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, he gave Joseph a special gift, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because of their father's partiality. They could not say a kind word to him. Well, one night, Joseph had a dream and promptly reported the details to his brothers, causing them to hate him even more. Listen to this dream, he announced. We were out in the field tying up my bundles of grain and my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed before it. So you're going to be our king, are you? His brothers taunted. And they hated him all the more for his dream and what he said. Now, we see here in the beginning that Joseph was his father's favorite and he'd been given special treatment and this, you know, this technicolor dream coat thing made more than just a fashion statement. It kind of flaunted his dad's partiality in the face of his brothers. I heard a stupid story about a, a salesman that was going door to door uh, selling like solar panels and stuff and a 10-year-old kid answered the door and a 10-year-old kid opens the door and the kid's smoking a huge cigar. And the salesman says, is your mother home? He says, what do you think? <laughs> Sorry. Here's what I think. Either mom wasn't home or he was the youngest in the family because the youngest gets away with everything, right? Any of you guys the baby of the family? Yeah, let's just go ahead and boo those privileged prima donnas right now. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Now, the fact that he was his dad's favorite was not Joseph's fault. It's not real great parenting, but you can see why it says the brothers couldn't stand him. I mean, can any of you imagine just walking into the family room one day and saying, excuse me, everybody. Got an announcement I'd like to make. Got a word from God. I don't have all the details, but this much is pretty clear. Everybody in this family is going to serve me. In fact, you're all going to bow down before me. Now, not real great discernment on Joseph's part. Probably should have kept that one to himself. Just a little cocky to tell your whole family that you would be greater than all of them. But you know what? That, that was the word God gave to Joseph. He was saying to him as a 17-year-old guy, I'm going to raise you up not only to a position above your brothers and your, and your own family, but to a place of power over all the nations. And that's what eventually happens. 
I mean, spoiler alert, the most powerful king in the world at the time, the Pharaoh of Egypt, puts him in charge, and he rules the nations as a 30-year-old guy. And some of you are thinking, well, that sounds good to me. God, I could really, really like to get on a master plan like that. In fact, I'm, I'm wide open this Tuesday if you want to get started. But you know as well as I do, sometimes this amazing race of discovering and understanding and living in God's will for your life can be quite the roller coaster ride. I mean, sometimes when you hear the still small voice of God saying, this is where I'm leading you. Come on, follow me. Then the next breath he says, and please fasten your seatbelt. Grab hold of the bar in front of you. Keep your arms and legs inside the ride at all times until your car has come to a complete stop. Enjoy the ride. And that's what we discover in Joseph's life. From age 17 to 30, the 13 years that fall in between these two events were absolutely wild ride years. 13 years where it might have been possible for Joseph to lose sight of any hope that God even cared about him at all, much less that God had something good in mind for his life. You ever have one of those days, one of those weeks, one of those decades? So Joseph's brothers hated him, and some of you know the story. The brothers are way out in the pastures of Dothan. They're tending their sheep, and the father sends little brother Joseph on a trip to check up on them and take some supplies to the brothers. And they see him coming over the hill, and he's wearing his dad likes me better than you jacket, and they're not happy. They're not excited. Nobody's saying, hey, what's up, little bro? Their hate, their resentment, their jealousy, their rage begins to burn within them, and they say, you know what? When he gets here, why don't we just kill him? So they devise a plan. They find this pit, this empty cistern that's there, and say, when he gets here, let's throw him in the pit, and then we'll figure out what to do with him. We'll just rip that stinking robe off of him and we'll kill an animal and we'll throw blood all over the robe. We'll drop his body in the pit and then we'll tell dad that some bear, some lion, some animal got him on the way here. He'll be history. We won't bow down. We'll certainly never serve him. We don't want to worry about him anymore. He'll be gone and out of the picture. And some of you think you've got some sibling rivalry going on in your house? So Joseph shows up and says, hey guys, got some stuff for you. The brothers say, we got some stuff for you too. Boom, they grab him, rip his robe off. All of a sudden, he's in a pit looking up. You ever had one of those days? Well, his brothers sit down to eat lunch and they're thinking about what they're gonna do, do with him. And about that time, they see these uh, Ishmaelites, this sort of a, a gypsy band of people moving across the desert in their caravan. And one of the brothers sees dollar signs flash before his eyes. And he says, hey guys, hang on a sec, I got a great idea. We don't have to kill him. We can just sell him. You ever want to sell your little brother? He said, we'll just sell him to these gypsies coming by, get some cash for him, and we'll still show dad the blood-soaked robe we found and tell him that his favorite son got tangled up with a mountain lion and he died. Dad will never know the difference, and we won't have to live with the guilt of killing our own brother. Plus, we'll make a few bucks in the process. And so they say, that's a plan. So the Ishmaelites come along, and these guys sell their little brother for about eight ounces of silver into the hands of these gypsies who go straight into Egypt and put him in a slave auction where he's bought by a guy named Potiphar who was the head of the security for Pharaoh. Well, this guy Potiphar takes him home, puts him to work. Joseph is no longer the golden child of the family. His dreams, this hope and a future thing was not working out exactly how he had pictured. But I love what the scripture says over in chapter 39. It says the Lord was with Joseph. And we've talked about this before, how God's will is much more about who you are than where you go or what you do. And God was interested in using whatever came his way to mold and shape 
Joseph's character. I mean, there was an obvious cockiness that needed to be worked out of him. And as Joseph worked as a slave in Potiphar's house, he learned humility. And, and, and as you read the story, and I hope you will later today, you'll see that Joseph was faithful. He was obedient. He just worked hard. He did the right thing. He didn't gripe, didn't complain. He was full of integrity. And in spite of the circumstances, he just served knowing that God was with him and doing something in him. And as a result, God used his life, and it says he had success with everything he touched in Potiphar's house. Well, after a while, Potiphar recognized this, said to Joseph, man, you're really good. You're honest. You're trustworthy. Everything I have is in your command. You got full run of the house. I'm trusting you with all of my administrative affairs. So Joseph is doing his thing with character. He's being honored by God. I mean, things weren't what they were back home with his dad, but this was working out okay. Until Potiphar's wife, man, you might know the story. She has this thing for Joseph. Now, the scripture says that Joseph was this well-built, handsome hunk. And I did a little word study on the ancient Hebrew word for handsome. It's literally translated totally bald with a little goatee. I'm just kidding, made that, made that up. But she tries to seduce Joseph. But because of the authenticity of his heart, he won't give in. He says, man, Potiphar, trust me. He's given me everything in this house. How could I take his own wife? Then he says to her, listen, I, I can't do this and sin against God. Well, she's totally frustrated by that. So one day when nobody else was around, when Joseph is working inside the house, she grabs his clothes and demands that he sleep with her. Well, he pulls away, and as he does, his shirt, his jacket comes off, and he runs out of the house, and she's left holding his cloak and begins to scream that this slave has tried to sexually assault her. And when Potiphar comes in, she tells this big, phony, melodramatic story, which makes Potiphar furious. And he throws Joseph in jail for attempted rape. Ever had one of those days where you're just trying to do the right thing? You're trying to do the honorable thing, and all of a sudden you find yourself looking through the prison bars of false accusation? But you know what the scripture says? God was with him in that jail. He was right there with him. Now, now I don't know. But maybe God was reminding him constantly, remember, Joseph, I got a great plan for your life. Remember the dream. I got a great vision for you. I really am going to take you somewhere. I'm really going to do something extraordinary with you. And I'm just guessing sometimes Joseph thought, yeah, it's really great, God. I really love the way you think, the way you work, the, the amazing race, getting beat up by my brothers and thrown in a pit. That was awesome. That trip to the desert, chained up with a bunch of gypsies. Wow, would love to rebook that cruise, being sold as a slave in Potiphar's house, rape charges for simply trying to honor you. Yeah, this is exactly how I pictured my life turning out, God. You ever had one of those days, one of those conversations? But you know what? After a while, the warden of the jail makes him head over the whole place. You see, in spite of the circumstances, Joseph was one of those guys who just decided to bloom wherever he was planted. I mean, God was so with him, the scripture says, and he was so honorable and he was so filled with integrity and so filled with a servant spirit. They make him like the trustee, like inmate number one. Well, Pharaoh the king, he gets real temperamental one day and he sends these two guys to jail, his cupbearer, kind of his personal butler, and his baker. I don't know what happened. Maybe the bagels were a little stale. There were water spots in the glasses, whatever. But the king, being a king, gets ticked at them and throws them into jail. And while they're there, the cupbearer and the baker have these dreams. And they start talking to Joseph and saying, man, we've been having these crazy dreams. They feel so real. They're really, really detailed. We can't figure this out. Does that ever happen to you? And Joseph says, absolutely, man, I know dreams. 
I had one when I was 17 that God was going to make me the ruler of a nation. All my brothers and family were going to bow down to me. And they're probably looking at each other going, okay, so what are you doing here? But anyway, they say, look, we had these dreams and we don't know what to do with them. And Joseph said, well, we're not going anywhere. So why don't you tell them to me? And so they do. And Joseph interprets the dreams and says, okay, here's the deal. I don't know how to break it to you, Mr. Baker, but this is going to be it for you. Your days are numbered, like three to be exact. You're going to be executed. I'm really, really sorry, dude. Uh, Mr. Cupbearer, on the other hand, I have good news for you. In three days, you're going to be restored to your position with the Pharaoh. And, and just, just one small thing, I'm really not supposed to be here. I've been kidnapped. I've been framed. I've been set up. So when you get back to the palace, the name is Joseph. Could, could you put in a good word for Joseph? Well, it happened in three days, just as Joseph had predicted. The baker was history, and in three days, the cupbearer was right back in the throne room of Pharaoh. But guess what he forgot to mention? Yeah, he forgot Joseph. Ever had one of those days? And for two years, the scripture emphasizes, for two full years, Joseph waited in that jail. Until finally, the Pharaoh has a couple of dreams. He gets all stressed out about them, can't figure out what they mean. He can't get an answer from any of his magicians or any of his so-called wise men of the nation. And all of a sudden, the memory of the cupbearer kicks in. He goes, hey, wait a, wait a minute. There, there is this guy that I met in prison. Oh, man, he's great with dreams. His name was, uh, his name was Joseph. Joseph, yeah, you ought to bring him in. Now, let me suspend the story right there and just say this. 13 years have gone by. Not 13 minutes, not 13 days, not 13 months, 13 years. And we think social distancing and the quarantine went on forever? 13 years. And in every one of those days, I think Joseph had the same opportunity that you and I have had so far this year to lose sight of that first principle, which is God really does have a plan for our lives. He has a much better view from above. And in every one of those moments, I think Joseph could have been limited by the little snapshot that he saw in his circumstances and lost total hope that there was a loving God who had plans for his life. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you're in the middle of one of those 13 year plans. I wanna remind you that God sees the whole picture. He has a bigger canvas in his mind and whatever we're seeing is just a little snapshot that God fits into the plan that he's lovingly unfolding for our lives. God really does have a hope and a future for your life. And please know that the same God who said, I have plans to give you hope in the future, also said in this life, you will have trouble. And what I've learned from looking at the life of Joseph over and over is that God's far more interested in my character than he is my comfort. He's far more interested in my character than he is my comfort. Until we start thinking that way, we're going to miss it. Because we've set the canvas of our dreams up before God, say, God, your plan for my life has to look like this in order to be your plan for me. And the life of Joseph said, well, no, it really doesn't. God says, I'll use whatever this life throws at you to shape you and mold you and chisel you and make you into the person that I know you can be. And I will lead you where you need to be. And you can trust in that. In the process, you can trust me. Which leads us to the second principle is this. God is always with you, working in the dark. God is always with you, working in the dark. You see what Joseph could have easily done at any one of the stops along the amazing race. 
He could have said, well, I guess God was A, wrong, B, changed his mind, C, I did something wrong and ticked God off, so I got got bumped off the master dream track, or D, maybe the dream wasn't real to begin with. So you know what? I guess I better start trusting myself. I got to figure out how to make life work on my own. I'd be a fool to let God lead my life. But he doesn't do that. He just continually submitted himself to God, and I think I know why, because repeatedly, over and over in this text, it says, the Lord was with Joseph and blessed him greatly as he served in the home of the Egyptian master. The Lord was with, Moses, with, with Joseph in Potiphar's house. God was with him in that jail. And the whole time, I think he was remembering that God was always at work, even in the darkness. You see, when it gets dark, God doesn't go to sleep. God doesn't sleep. He doesn't need rest. He doesn't, he doesn't take naps. God doesn't need a double espresso shot in the morning. He doesn't need a Red Bull in the afternoon to keep him going. It says in Psalm 121, Indeed, he who watches over Israel never tires and never sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. It reminds us when our, when our bodies flop in bed tonight because we are absolutely exhausted, when we close our eyes to rest, the inexhaustible God will be up all night working behind the scenes of our life. When Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, God's plan was moving ahead. When he was in Potiphar's house, God wasn't caught off guard by that. When he was falsely accused and arrested and thrown in prison, God's plan wasn't derailed. When he was forgotten by the cupbearer, he wasn't forgotten by God. And as Joseph continued to wait in that jail, as those two years passed, day after day after day after day, the at work in the dark God was timing the events of his life until just at the right moment, Pharaoh has a dream. And in one 24-hour period, one day, God would move Joseph from the jail to the second most powerful position in the nation. Christian Rieger spent four years in a very dark place. It's an infamous concentration camp in Dachau. He was in prison there by the Nazis from 1941 to 1945. His crime was simply being a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And he wrote this. He said, Nietzsche said that a man can undergo torture if he knows the why of his life. But here at Dachau, I have learned something far greater. I've learned to know the who of my life. He was enough to sustain me then. He's enough to sustain me still. Listen to me. Listen to the life of Joseph. God has not abandoned you. He's not forgotten you. He is the who of your life. And he's working behind the scenes of whatever your like, dungeon experience is right now. He's committed to working all things together for good for those who love him. You can trust him. He's with you in the dark. And I don't know, maybe you just need to get honest with God, like many of us have, and just say, God, help me see beyond the darkness because I'm feeling crushed right now. Remold me, refine me, reshape my character. Help me to trust the fact that you are the God of unfailing love and you really do see the bigger picture. I just urge you to pray that kind of honest prayer. I guarantee you Joseph did. And if Joseph could survive those years of mistreatment and loneliness and betrayal and loss, you can too. He's the same God. One last principle. It's this, God's plan is to have the right person in the right place for his right purposes. That's always God's plan, to have his person in his place for his purpose. Remember God's will is a whole lot more about who we are than where we go or what we do, but it's so cool when all of that comes together, isn't it? 
Isn't it such an awesome feeling to step back from a moment and realize that you were that person? You go, wow, I think that was a divine appointment. I, I, I didn't see that coming, but I think I was supposed to be in that hallway. I think I was supposed to be in seat 15A on that flight. I was supposed to be standing in line at the grocery with her. You know what? I think I was supposed to be living next door to them. Wow. I feel like I, like I was the right person at the right time being used for God's right purposes. That's what happens in Joseph's life. You see, the Pharaoh has these two dreams and brings Joseph in prison to interpret the dreams for him. And Joseph says, it's beyond my personal power to do this, but God will reveal to you what they mean. So, Joseph, so Pharaoh goes to the dreams and Joseph says, okay, here's what they mean. Uh, your majesty is going to get really, really bad around here. We're going to have seven years of plenty. I mean, we're going to have some major heavy-duty bumper crops. The economy is going to soar, but then the bubble is going to burst, and we're going to have seven years of absolutely nothing, like big-time drought. And sir, if you're smart, you'll put the excess away in storage during the seven years of plenty so, when, so that when the famine hits, the nation will have enough to survive because I'm telling you, it, it's coming. And Pharaoh says, wow, God is with you. Even a pagan king recognized it. He says, wow, God is with you. I'm gonna put you in charge of the whole storage process. In fact, I will be the only one in all of Egypt with a higher rank than you. So seven years, Egypt got really, really disciplined and they stored away the excess. And just as the dream foretold, major famine came on the land, seven years of famine. And you know what? Nobody in the land had any food except for Egypt. And you know who was in charge of all the food in Egypt? Joseph. And guess who? Comes to Egypt looking for some food for their family. Joseph's brothers. And you know who ultimately came? The whole family. And it says they came not recognizing Joseph and they bowed down before him. I was surfing channels the other day and came upon the old Clint Eastwood movie, Hot Plains Drifter. Have you seen this? It's a movie where this marshal comes back seeking revenge and he picks off all these evil guys one at a time. Now, if I'm Joseph in this moment, I probably got a little Clint Eastwood revenge justice thing going on inside of me. I'm thinking, well, 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 look who's here. You've traveled such a long way. Allow me to show you your deluxe accommodations. How do individual pits sound to each one of you? Or maybe you like a nice long six-month ride with, with some gypsies. And hey, I know this guy named Potiphar, great house, evil wife, would love for you to meet her. But look at this scene as Joseph reveals his identity, his godly character, and his understanding of God's plan for his life. He says, I'm Joseph. Is my brother, is my father still alive? I think this is a total understatement. His brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing right there in front of them. Come over here, he said. So they came, inched closer. And he said again, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now you know. They had to be freaking out because as he's speaking, in their mind, they're hearing, I'm your brother who you never thought you'd see again. And I'm ruling Egypt and therefore in control of your destiny. Right now, I'm your absolute worst nightmare. But look what it says. Don't be angry with yourselves 
that you did this to me. For God did it. He sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. These two years of famine will grow to seven during which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. Yeah, God sent me here to keep you and your families alive so that you'll become a great nation. Yes, it was God who sent me here, not you. I mean, this is such a cool scene. Joseph is saying, look, listen, I'm not bitter about you and me in the pit. I'm not not seeking revenge for being sold as a slave and abandoned in prison. As far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you guys meant for evil. Now to be sure, it has been an amazing race. 13 wild roller coaster year ride. But you know what? God was with me and God's been working on my character. I'm not the same cocky 17 year old kid that you heard brag about his dream. God used everything I've been through to make me into the right kind of person so that in the day of the famine, the right person would be in the right place at the right time to accomplish the right purposes of God. It was God who sent me here ahead of you. And you know what? It's true. The immediate purposes were to feed the nations for seven years. But the greater purpose was to preserve the sons of Jacob so they could become the nation of Israel for the purposes of God, for the birth of Jesus Christ, for the salvation of the world, for you and me to be sitting here forgiven and free. It was crucial that Joseph be on the throne in Egypt that day. And I think God sometimes says, I love it when a plan comes together. You know, I love the story of Joseph because whenever I have one of those days, one of those, one of those weeks, one of those months, one of those years, one of those 13 year seasons, and I say, man, I don't get this. I mean, this really does feel like the whole thing is coming unraveled around me. This is not the picture I had in mind. I can say, well, you know what, God? I can't make any sense of this. But I know you have a better view and a deeper love. And I know you're working in the dark on my behalf. So I'll trust you and keep my eyes on you. And however you want to use me, my life is in your hands. Listen, gang, God holds much more for your life than what you can currently see. So like Joseph, just daily surrender to God. Be honorable in whatever circumstance you're currently in. Let him lead you through this amazing race. Never lose hope in the God who never sleeps. And when you crawl into bed at the close of this day, you can say, I may not know all the specifics, but it feels so good to be in the hands of the one who does. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the way you love us and the way you lead us. And I know, God, this has been a challenging season for people all over the place. So much craziness going on, a lot of heartbreak, tension, confusion, strife. Thank you for what you're doing behind the scenes. Thank you for the way you're working through the lives of faithful people people that are the right person at the right time, at the right place, being used for your right purposes. God, may we be those people. Use our lives however you see fit. God, I pray for those today, as we were talking, they, they do feel like they're in a 13-year season. It's been hard. God, I pray that today they would have renewed hope, that they would know that you love them with this fierce, relentless, unfailing love and that you are working behind the scenes on their behalf. God, I pray that hope would rise today. I pray that we would surrender to you and put our lives in your hands. 
and just trust you to lead us to the places you want us to be. Thanks for the life of Joseph. Thanks for writing it down in the book. So grateful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.